Welcome to the Creative Endeavor Podcast. This is the podcast bringing you inspiring stories from creative professionals from around the world. It's real conversations with real artists. And I'm Andrew Tischler, and it is such a pleasure to have your company in the studio once again. In this episode, I'm talking to Pavel Sokov, who I met only quite recently in the Instagram comments section of all places. We had an exchange that was both intriguing and very thought-provoking, and then I thought, hang on a second, who is this guy? I clicked on his profile, and I was immediately struck by the quality of his work. I reached out to him, and I said, Pavel, i got to get you on the podcast, and I'm so glad that he agreed. Now, his work is so painterly, yet it's really realistic. It's very reminiscent of so many old masters that I admire so much with the quality of the brushwork, his color choices, but his choice of subject as well. Pavel is painting things that he knows and has experienced. And I was really inspired by the links that he would go to to gather material for some of his paintings. He paints some amazing portraits of African tribal people. And I soon realized after looking at his profile, how he would gather that inspiration. He would fly over there and spend weeks on end with tribal people and paint them from life, paint plain air, and live that life for a short period of time and then take that experience and all of that material he had gathered back to the studio to create these stunning paintings. There was another painting that struck me on his website. Now, back in the day, I was a huge Arnie fan, and I saw this portrait there of the governator, Arnold Schwarzenegger himself. And then as I dug a little bit deeper, I saw a photograph of Arnold holding the very painting. I had to ask Pavel all about this. How did Arnold get that painting? It was such a cool story. I'll save that for the podcast, but you don't want to miss that one. Now, right now, of course, you're listening to the audio version of the Creative Endeavor, but there is a video version and it's available now exclusively for my students over on Tish Academy. That's T-I-S-C-H dot Academy. If you go there, you're going to find not only the Creative Endeavor podcast, but loads of courses on painting, as well as a course on art business called the Creator Activator. And I'm updating and adding to those courses continually. So if you want to take your painting a little bit further or take your art business a little bit further and enjoy the video version of this podcast, and we talk about all kinds and we put images up of Pavel's painting while we're talking, then hey, don't miss out. Go to tish.academy and we'll see you over there. Join our vibrant community of artists. We are growing so rapidly. It would be wonderful to have you part of this amazing creative journey. So we'll see you at tish.academy. Now, without further ado, let's bring him on. Here he is. This is Pavel Sokov in The Creative Endeavor.
Pavel, absolute pleasure to meet you. Welcome to the Creative Endeavor podcast. Great to meet you, Andrew. So happy to be here. Well, look, man, I um, I, I, I really feel like I, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm almost ashamed, bro, because I, I feel like I met you by accident, but it's a happy accident because I was going through one of the posts that I made recently. There was an interesting discussion that was going on with one of these posts I made on Instagram in regards to AI or and the size of the work and price points and all this stuff. And I, you jumped into the comments with some really thoughtful responses there. And then I thought, hang on a second, who is this guy? Clicked on your profile. Immediately I was struck by just the sheer quality of the work that I was seeing. And I was really moved by the portraits. And then as I was digging deeper and scrolling through your Instagram, noticing like, hang on, this guy's not just doing this from, you know, yeah, you might use photographs or something. I'm keen to hear about the process of how you produce your, your portraits. But I, I was saying, oh, this guy's actually going to these places, experiencing that, connecting with these people that's coming through on the work. But then also the quality, man, the brushwork, all of this. We've got so much to dive into, so much to talk about here. But let's kick things off, okay? I, I love starting the podcast this way, which is I just want to hear your story. How did you get started? Because you're obviously a young guy. You started, you know, uh, you know, I'm sure you've been painting most of your life, but how did this come about for you? How did your creative journey begin? Oh, God. Well, I'm 33, Andrew, for a Russian that's like 80% of their lifespan already gone. Yeah. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I'm young in Canadian years, old in Russian years. Um, how did I get started? Well, actually, funny enough, this year is my 10-year anniversary of uh, being an artist. Um, it's it's uh, impossible to say which day specifically, because that's quite an abstract question. But in general, it's my first decade uh, that I'm celebrating this year. So the journey started, you could say it started 10 years ago, but of course it started uh, from when I was a kid. As always, the same the same story as as most people, you know, kid uh, drawing instead of doing sports, um, getting positive feedback from parents and peers. Uh, I was just obsessed with drawing all the time when I was a kid. Um, like uh, if we'd go on a trip, my mom would say, pack your bags. And the only thing I would pack is a paper and a pencil, <laughs> no clothes or anything. So uh, like that normal kid that uh, wants to become an artist is something I've always uh, had. I guess it's uh, some sort of genetic error or something <laughs> that uh, I've always felt this way. But as a lot of people, I was a bit too, uh, I didn't believe you could become um, an artist really due to some, I guess, negative societal programming. Um, like, for example, in Canada, people are very encouraging, thank God, for um, their kids to do whatever it is that they're excited about. And I think that's very wise. But where I grew up, uh, you know, not not as much. So uh, I kind of believe that it's not possible to become an artist. So I went on to uh, study business and complete uh, my uh, Bachelor of Commerce and even work in business for two years. So I actually came to this... Uh, our journey, in my opinion, quite late. I think I was turning 24. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a decade ago, mm -hmm. 23, 24. Wow, there's there's a lot there to unpack. So how old were you when you left Russia? 
Uh, 10. Right. So okay. I don't remember too much. I can just tell you that my uh, health improved uh, dramatically as soon as I arrived to Canada and everything got better. Would highly recommend everybody to not be in Russia. <laughs> wow. Yeah, man. And there's there's certainly a lot going on in that part of the world now. We, we, we won't go there unless you want to. But, uh, you know, I am. Um, I'm I'm really fascinated by that, um, and I'm thinking about this so much at the moment. Is that mindset side of things of how we as creatives approach our journey, how we approach creativity, how we even approach the art business? Because it seems to be this thing that a lot of us have, even if it's a small voice in the back of the head or a big one. But this this negative association. It's like, well, if you're going to be an artist and you're going to starve to death, that old starving artist, you know, analogy. Is it so consequently with our peers, with parents? This is what I found. You know, people because they care about you, because they don't want to see you starve to death. They they discourage this thing, which they're they're convinced is a road to nowhere. Right? I understand them. I, I understand what they mean. I mean, mm. uh, when you look at it on the face of it most people who pursue being an artist are not likely to make a professional life out of it. However, I look at that statistic a little bit uh, differently, which doesn't make me feel negative about it. Mm. While out of, let's say there's a hundred people that want to become an artist. I do believe only about one to two of them will actually go on to make a professional life out of it. That does not mean that you cannot become an artist. It just means that if you behave correctly and do the things that are required of you, well, in that case, I think you have a hundred percent chance of becoming a professional artist. Mm -hmm. Now, the difference is that I think 98 out of a hundred people may not do the, the things that are required of them to get the type of result. Mm. So my, my parents, they weren't, incorrect the chances are slim but if you make the situation more nuanced and you consider what is the person willing to do how are they willing to train where are they willing to travel to to get that information the chances become fantastic wow. really fantastic almost a hundred percent to be honest well i'm dying to know what are the requirements what do we have to do here what's a required behavior i i, I love the way you put that by the way yeah, there's when you look at statistics, you got to break it down and realize that people pursuing a certain thing may not all be approaching it the same way. Mm. So you got to nuance the situation. So for me, the way it worked out is um, I showed up to this uh, a little bit late, in my opinion, when I was 23, 24. And how it happened is I worked for two years in marketing. But um, I couldn't survive not doing art. I thought I could. I thought like, oh, if they pay me money, I'll like consume the money and it's going to be okay or something. <laughs> so I tried for two years. It was not okay. And uh, what actually ended up happening is, and part of what answers your question about the training is, I was flying to Las Vegas uh, for my job at the time. I was a marketing director for like a tiny company. And I flew to Las Vegas to do a trade show for them. Um, and at that trade show, I had this opportunity to fly from Vegas to LA if I don't sleep during the night and show up on Sunday and go to this uh, workshop. 
the conceptart.org workshop. I don't know if you've been exposed to this, but when I was a kid, before I became an artist and I was um, drawing on my own time, my education consisted entirely of art forums mm. and conceptart.org was the biggest back in the day when I was a kid, yeah, teenager. Yeah, I remember it. You remember that one? Oh yeah. Man, that was my version of art education. As a kid, I would post my drawings. People were giving feedback. It was a really cool environment. So they would have these um, live events and I've always wanted to attend one. And here I was an hour and a half flight away. So I took the plunge and uh, flew over to LA from Vegas during the night arrived uh, on no sleep and i was so glad i did because i got to meet all these uh, epic artists that i've been looking up to on the art forums as a kid but more importantly i think what really changed my life was i met these art students one of them is actually one of my best friends we've been friends for a decade now i've gone uh, with him on many of these trips actually that these paintings come from Wow. And I saw these uh, guys coming from Watts Atelier, the Jeffrey Watts Atelier in California. Yeah, yeah. They drove in for the um, the event also. So I flew in, they drew, drove in, and they showed me their sketchbooks. And that's when my world fell apart. And this understanding of what it actually takes to become an artist became more clear. Because back in Canada, we don't have art ateliers, or at the time, we definitely did not. And even today, they're extremely low quality. Mm. So it seemed like I was a great uh, artist already since the, there wasn't really much to look at or to compare to. Mm. I was uh, digitally painting uh, at that time. And it's only when I was exposed to those art students and their sketchbooks that I realized, oh, my God, I'm coming home after work. I'll be lucky if I can do two hours of practice per day and that's even a fantasy mm -hmm. these guys are doing uh, eight to ten hours of practice a day they're having full sketchbooks uh, it's impossible to um, say oh i'm going to become a professional artist when you uh, can't make that time commitment to do so and when mm -hmm. there's other people that are putting in entire days non-stop so that's when i realized man you're you're not going to become uh, an artist by uh, practicing two hours after work. That's just not going to happen. Um, wow. So when I returned back to Canada, I said, you know what? I, I got to go for it for real, you know? And the only way to do that is to uh, quit my job. So I handed in my notice as soon as I got back. Because um, wow. I knew that, um, Realistically speaking, like you can wish uh, all you want, but if you're not putting in the hours, it's going to be kind of <laughs> unrealistic to expect the result and unfair, really, because other people are practicing. Yeah. Um, so I quit in two months um, because the notice had to be two months. I didn't want to like, because I, I did the marketing for the whole company. I didn't want to leave them with no marketer. That'd be pretty rough. Hmm. Um. And I prepared to uh, move to California and attend uh, Watts Atelier. And uh, I spent uh, four semesters there uh, over two years. So six months uh, in California, six months in Canada, six months in California, six months in Canada. 
Wow. And that's where I became uh, exposed to uh, oil painting and traditional painting. And that's where I start counting my journey as an artist to be starting. Wow, man, what a journey. And that's, you know, hearing that, I, I got to admit, I feel a little bit like, um, like I missed out, you know, because my, my start happened in Perth. And I, I guess it was just a different sort of uh, thing. But I, I was watching some YouTube videos um, probably about 10 years ago. Some of the stuff that Jeff Watts was putting out, he would, he would do a Friday night live session, wouldn't he? With uh, where he would be um, doing some, I remember he was at the time, he was doing some master copies. He would just take like a little piece of a Frazetta painting and just look at the, uh, the, um, the, the facial structure, the colors, the brushwork, all that. And then he would do an NC Wyeth or this or that. I, I remember it, a Lion Decker or something. I remember it being really informative, really fun, just kind of going, dang, man, I wish I could get around that at the time. Um, we just didn't have anything uh, in Western Australia that came even close. And so here you've made that association. You just jumped all in. There's so many directions. Oh, yeah, you going, can't in but... Canada. There's no, it's like yeah. Perth. Um... You know, if you want, uh, yeah. if you want to learn fast, you want to learn well, you got to go to America. I mean, if you happen to be in uh, California already, that's great. But <laughs> if you're from Canada, you got to get on the plane and get going. So <laughs> what I did was I had savings from my stupid little job. Uh, and I used all of them to spend my time in California learning this. Uh, it was uh, some of the best times of my life. It was absolutely epic. It felt wow. uh, amazing particularly amazing because at that moment I didn't know if becoming a professional artist it was it was a dream it was something that I was completely fired up about and not having it work yet mm -hmm. was actually super super exciting um so whoever hasn't started yet the best part of the movie is actually that moment where you don't know if it's gonna work I really enjoyed that part Wow. I love the way you put that, you know, where it's the best part of the movie is that beginning part. Everybody's in such a rush to arrive at a place. I look back at some of those real, even the horror stories of what didn't work for me. And I'm like, actually, that was a pretty good time. It was pretty exciting. It was the best. I remember uh, I arrived to this apartment with these guys that I don't know. And it was like destiny because, uh, like I said, one of my best friends that I met at the, the concept art event, mm -hmm. um, I actually forgot that I met him because, <laughs> I don't know, maybe dropped on my head too often as a kid. But <laughs> I arrived and turns out he was one of my roommates and I didn't know that. And uh, yeah, it was all meant to be like that. And I slept on this mattress that they pulled out of the garbage that became too old after like seven generations of different artists sleeping on it in this one apartment next to the school. Uh, so many uh, people uh, have been through that apartment. The mattress was just worn out, too many cats peed on, literally a cat <laughs> peed on it. They threw it out and they heard that I'm coming and I need a mattress. So they pulled it out of the garbage. I got these Walmart bed sheets that, um, were 20 bucks they stained me blue and they stained my phone blue and everything slept <laughs> right on the floor my back was destroyed immediately it wow. was great the apartment was disgusting it was horrible it was the best i really loved it 
I, I, I'm so confused right now. All this stuff where most people would just be flipping out going, wow. But um, yeah, it's 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 interesting to reframe yeah, it. That's that what way, you want it? when you're starting out. Uh, that's you it, know, when, uh, when everything is messed up, that's uh, fuel for the fire. When you don't know if it's going to work yet and everything yeah. is just a dream, it's uh, fuel to uh, not sleep so much. Like at that time when I was at Watts Atelier, sleeping wasn't really a thing. Wow. It was like... Um, 10 to 15 hours of art every day, uh, wow. no days off, you know? And I remember our only time to like relax was we're supposed to watch the Game of Thrones episode that will come out on, I forget, maybe Tuesday, except when the Tuesday rolled around, we sat down for the Game of Thrones. I'd fall asleep in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was quite the time. I really loved it. Wow. So how many... Um... How did how did Jeff run that thing? Did, how I've got to get him on the podcast and pick his brain. But how how many people would be there at any given time going through this? So if you're going through it with a group of people, how many people are doing these sessions at any one time? Oh, um, Jeff would give you a more accurate answer, and I'm sure it changes over time. When I was going, I'd say there was like a good 60, 70 people there, but it's wow. not every class has everybody you know. You yeah. actually build your own curriculum. So I showed up and Jeff Watts was like, okay, so you're a beginner. You should probably take only drawing classes. That's what mm -hmm. is the reasonable thing to recommend. Mm -hmm. But if you're uh, stubborn like me, you you can still go ahead and take all painting classes. Like, okay, Jeff, that sounds great. I, you're right. Uh, see you in the painting classes, you know, mm -hmm. so people have different strategies and different things that they're working on right. during that time in their journey. So you see different friends in different classes, but overall there's, there's like maybe 70 people. Wow. Uh, and you're all going through these things together. The camaraderie was epic. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. And people go for years. It's not like a university. Like you finished university, you did three years and they tell you to get out. You're probably glad they told you to get out. But mm. uh, at an atelier, you can stay for uh, 10 years if you want. Wow. Wow. That's that's amazing. So so coming out of your, your corporate gig where you're working as a marketer, I mean, even though you... Uh, you, you the, the way you described it i love it i forgot um how you just worded that but i absolutely love it but that that little job that you're referring to um do you feel though that that had some benefit to you as an artist because not only are you a fantastic artist but you seem to have the business side of things dialed in so was there some sort of influence there from that former life you know andrew um I often say how much I regret that I did business university mm -hmm. and uh, worked in business. And people say, oh, no, but you probably learned about marketing. I have to say, I don't, I can't get behind that. I simply don't think so. Mm -hmm. Honestly, if you ask me, you know, when you really learn marketing, when you spent your 75 grand of savings and you now have zero grand of savings and you need to sell art so that you can not die, <laughs> that's when you start to learn marketing. Uh, you're uh, listening to audiobooks every week, mm -hmm. multiple. Mm -hmm. 
it's not in university that you learn marketing. You learn marketing when your bank account is not so high, you know, and uh, you just got to come up with results. Wow. Uh, and that urgency, if you have it, you're going to learn uh, marketing real quick. You're going to seek out the books and you're not going to do it because somebody told you. You're going to do it because you told yourself to do it. Yeah. Guaranteed. So it's, a, it's that high pressure situation, like literally do or die. We got to make this work. Yeah, winning is very important to me and there was no way I was going to lose. So, uh, yeah, I went to university. Maybe they said something there, but to be honest, starting your own uh, company and plunging headfirst, no job, that's when you really start trying things out. Like mm -hmm. I had an art podcast for a while. I did YouTube videos for a while. You may Fantastic. not know. Uh, you start jumping into all these things and you're saying, am I, do I have a proficiency here? This, that you don't read about it, uh, in your textbook, it comes out of you. You're looking for other ways. Like what, I'm, what else am I interested in? Or I saw this guy's doing these cool videos. Maybe I can do it too. And then you find out, no, you can't do it too, <laughs> but you try. <laughs> and, uh, I always, maybe it's different for different people, but I recommend the best way to learn is a high pressure situation. And the same happened in my art career as a whole. I kind of got, I got really lucky uh, with the start of my art career, but I also took that and I added more fuel to it. So what am I trying mm -hmm. to say is, I put myself in situations where I started doing work that I wasn't yet capable of doing. So after one semester at Watts Atelier, which is uh, three months, right? Uh, I touched oil paint for the first time. Um, the first day I found out how difficult it is. Uh, I had such a huge shock. It was plein air painting was the first time I did oil painting. Oh, wow. <laughs> Talk about looking end. like... <laughs> It was horrible, man. The painting looked like literally a child did it. And this was really tough coming off of uh, my digital painting, which looked uh, quite proficient. So I saw that oil painting and I was like, dude, what have you done? You're, you just quit your job. You thought you're going to do, uh, you're going to be so good. What is this painting? It's horrible. It's like kids have done better ones. I went home uh, to that uh old mattress and I laid on it and I was like oh my god you gotta <laughs> you gotta fix this situation but then then you fix it you know three months later I uh, started taking commissions on reddit and I was doing them as digital paintings which was comfortable for me at the time but then some guy uh, said hey why don't you do it as an oil painting and I talked to uh, the teachers and they're like yeah, dude, it's been three months that you've been oil painting. I don't think, uh, you know, calm down a little bit, maybe, <laughs> maybe not yet. I said, cool, that sounds really reasonable. I'm going to do it. So I did it. I had no idea. I had no reason to believe that I could pull off an oil painting commission at the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But just that pressure that I said yes to the person and my commitment to a person that when I make them a promise that if you're trusting me with your painting that you want to do, I really appreciate that. I take that super seriously. And I'm not saying that just because I actually, it really matters to me. 
-hmm. And even back then, um, people were paying me like no money at all. Uh, it was like 300 bucks or something. It doesn't matter. Uh, I took it very seriously. Mm -hmm. So that commitment forced me to make a pretty decent painting for that person. And it built up a little bit of confidence. Uh, and then Time Magazine reached out to me through a crazy miracle of some sort and asked me to do the Time Person of the Year cover of uh, Vladimir Putin in 2014 um, when he was doing the invasion of Crimea. And they picked me uh, just because I'm Russian and just because they happened to find my website. It's a miracle, basically. Wow. But it was such a miracle that when I received the email, I submitted it to Gmail's phishing scam. There's like, there's like a button to submit it as a scam. <laughs> so I submitted it as a scam, but I kept engaging with this scammer. I showed it to my teachers. They're like, yeah, dude, I don't know if Time Magazine is going to do a cover with like an art student. And I, don't, I really don't know about that. I'm like, yeah, me neither. Wow. But they kept answering until they sent a contract and it turned out to be real. And it was so, so, so terrifying at the time. Amazing. I like turned green and stuff. People thought I uh, had a fever. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but I said, yes, I signed a contract. And it's when I did things like that, mm -hmm. that I said yes to things I honestly have no business saying yes to. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, like a couple of hairs would fall out of my head or something. I'd turn green. But in the end, you know, I always pulled through and it showed me, it built a confidence that no matter how scary it is and no matter how much I haven't tried it before, if I made a commitment with somebody, I'm going to make that happen. Amazing. or die i guess haven't Amazing. died yet so i've made it happen each time and uh i really recommend that to anybody you know to uh to say yes to things you really probably shouldn't be saying yes to if you know what i mean for sure listen uh, pavel tell me tell me the story of the governor tell me how did i'm here clicking through your uh portraits on your website and i see here arnold schwarzenegger with a phenomenal painting of him with one of his stogies and here he is smiling holding this painting how did that painting come about so when i was a little kid my favorite actor was uh, arnold and i was um yeah same <laughs> watching uh the, his movies with my dad i remember we had the, his Planet Hollywood restaurant in Moscow. Mm -hmm. uh, we went over there. Back That was the first American food I ever ate, I think. Um, so that's how my kind of experience with him started. And then later on, I uh, didn't care for the movie so much anymore as I grew up, but I started appreciating him for something completely different. Mm -hmm. I was really kind of like what I just spoke about this whole idea of doing things you have no business in doing. Yeah. I think Arnold would not be offended. In fact, he would be proud to hear that he kept on jumping at things that he had no reason to believe he would do well in. Yeah. And he just did them anyway. And mm -hmm. there is nothing that I enjoy more than that. He just said, he's like, 
I can't speak English right, you know, I, I, I don't look like a human, but I'm going to become an actor. That makes no sense. I love it. Yeah. After that, he said, I'm going to become a politician because I'm an actor. That makes no well, no, that's happened before. We that had makes Reagan. a little more sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> that has some precedence. But yeah. I love the the ballsiness of it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I really admired that uh he never rested on his laurels. Yeah. Which is such an easy thing to do when things are going quite well. Yeah. So that's what I admired him for. And that's what brought on uh, making this painting. So I knew that uh, the governor, he uh, was quite active on Reddit. So I thought, hey, why don't I paint him? I'll post it on Reddit. The painting's going to be awesome. So it's going to get upvoted. Uh, he's going to see it and he's going to like it. And then he's going to ask to pick it up. Um, so I made the painting. It came out pretty great. Uh, and I even made a YouTube video of it. And I was kind of talking about, he had these uh, inspirational speeches uh, that really affected me. Mm. Even on my journey, when around that time when I was deciding to become an artist to quit marketing, mm. that those old school, remember his motivational speech about uh, how you just got to be ballsy. You got to go do it. Doesn't Sleep matter faster. what anybody says. Doesn't matter yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh those really helped me at the time you know mm -hmm. um so that's kind of what i was thinking about while i was painting him um then i posted it on reddit and it all went according to how i thought it would so uh, got uploaded to the front page he showed up he said awesome his assistant reached out uh they grabbed the painting and then we were gonna do uh, he wanted to do a a painting like a commissioned painting for a charity that he was doing um so i said uh yeah of course let's go do that uh but that didn't i don't know where that went so okay. that happens sometimes you know people are busy sure. or whatever but that that's kind of my experience with arnold extraordinary painting though and so cool um <laughs> wow yeah, I, I mean, I, I grew up with his with his movies and and he was a huge uh, influence on me early on, you know, early 20s. I was like, you know, I'm going to get into bodybuilding. And I, I started doing that. I had the Arnold Encyclopedia of bodybuilding there. And did you ever catch that that craze? You're obviously a fit dude. Did you ever did you ever get into it? Oh, yeah. You didn't know I won the Mr. Olympia last year. You don't oh. see my chest hair. Sorry, sorry, bro. I I, I was offended you even asked Andrew. As... Well, I, I thought I no, thought it was I... Chris Bumstead that took that out. You must have took him out of top spot. I, I beg your pardon. Sorry, but I don't do steroids. I know you want to ask me if I do steroids. I actually don't. This is just apple juice oh, with sparkling right. water. I know many people ask. Yeah, but no, somehow the bodybuilding stage. <laughs> Pass me by, you know. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Man, this is, um, oh, it's so cool though. It's so cool to see that. I was just like, I was like, what? <laughs> just just scroll through your website. But again, just on the on the painting side of things as well. Like, let, let's, let's talk about that painting. Um, because what I'm seeing here, did you get that from a, a still? I mean, I, I feel like I've seen that image before, but the lighting is something that looks like you've reinterpreted that so you've taken something that you might have uh, correct me if i'm wrong 
but it looks like you've now taken your artistic sensibilities, obviously that great technique, reinterpreted the lighting and came up with something just dramatic and beautiful. It's really beautiful. Yeah, so I've never I seen took, Arnold uh, looking so good. That's that's amazing. Yeah, well, as a portrait painter, I guess it's our job to make that happen. Yeah. So what I did was I hopped on Google. I uh, took an image that I did not shoot. And uh, you're right. You caught the lighting situation. I dramatized the lighting quite a bit and made it super warm. Like he's uh, mm. almost in front of a fireplace or he's like in a fireplace, <laughs> not even in front of it at that point. Uh and I used the explosive uh, edge work. I kind of uh, broke the portrait up at the bottom to add uh, more energy to it. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes when you have a bit of a static photo, uh, a nice way to uh, liven it up is to uh, vignette it like that. Yeah. Of course, uh, this is all thanks to the contributions of Richard Schmidt, which is where I think uh, vignetting portraits came from, or at least that's where I've fallen in love with it is from Richard Schmidt. Did you ever learn from Richard Schmidt directly or did you have his book? Uh, yeah, yeah, Ala Prima. I have every book uh, he's made. I wish I learned uh, from him. I went to his retrospective uh, a few years ago mm -hmm. in uh, Vermont where mm -hmm. they live. Mm -hmm. And I raced there, got a really big speeding ticket. It was the <laughs> worst speeding ticket I've ever got. And uh, Unfortunately, he wasn't able to make it. He was already, I guess, getting tired at that age. But I met his wife, Nancy Guzik, mm -hmm. which was, I think, the nicest person I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. uh, it was incredible. Uh, she was so sweet. She signed my books. She said the sweetest things. She was just the best person ever. But no, I never had a chance to meet Richard Schmidt, which is uh, very sad. I, I, yeah. He really uh, had a big role say probably in all our artistic lives. I don't want to speak for everybody, but a huge impact. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's amazing, you know, some, for, for one person to have that much influence. And uh, it was, yeah, a huge loss, huge loss. I, in fact, I want to shout out to uh, to uh, one of my um, academy students, Karen Darton, um, who uh, sent me. I now have. I am now the pride, proud owner of Alaprima Two. She just sent this to me in the post. She's like, "It's time. It's time somebody sent you a present, Andrew." I'm like, "Fantastic! That's unbelievable." You're gonna love it if you if you haven't looked through it. It's incredible. It's what I recommend uh, to everybody as well. This yeah. book. Well, my buddy, uh, my buddy, Mike Norris, who's a fantastic uh, bird sculptor here in New Zealand, uh, he had um, Alaprima. And uh, I, I remember flicking through that book, just say one day when you're not looking, buddy, I'm going to steal this thing. So I'm just glad I got my own copy and I don't have to stoop to that that level. Um, let's uh, let, let's jump in to some more of this painting goodness, because as I'm going through your your website and it's just one thing after another of just just being absolutely blown away. Talk to me about your approach. So you you started off, you you learned, you know, some some technique from Watts Atelier, and then obviously you've taken this and run with it. And it seems that you've landed on something that really 
you know, it's got such resonance. It's so painterly, but at the same time, it's got this beautiful, precise, detailed quality. Particularly, you know, I'm looking at the Gravitas collection here with some really interesting paintings. Talk to me about the um, your, your technical approach now. How does a painting come together from the initial concept of developing that idea to finished work? Just run me through how that how that process looks for you. Oh, I have actually a great painting to run through uh, this idea. The one right behind me. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, I've seen that on your Instagram. Amazing. Yeah, that's a speakeasy on Osaka. Mm -hmm. So there's different ways that I approach things, right? A lot of people there, I'm very impressed by people that are very methodical and they have a very specific way that they approach things. Mm -hmm. Um, my brain happens to not be geared towards that. I have always been more of a jump into it and figure it out kind of guy, which is how I approach all things in life at all times. Uh, so usually you'll be lucky uh, if I get do any study at all. I sometimes don't even do uh, drawing on the panel. I just put paint. <laughs> and hope I put it in the right place, you know. Uh, but other times, like for my scientist uh, pieces, they're uh, here on the wall. I'm just gonna yeah, the camera. They're cool, man. Are, they look like 3648 so, or 3040. How, how big are those? Uh, 40 by 30 inches. 40 I'm not sure what that is in centimeters, but yeah, it's sizable. Uh, so in my portrait painting life, I've come to be faced a lot of situations where I had to paint black and white photos into color. And this came from some of my first portrait commissions where these uh, Saudi Arabian uh, royal family, they would send me photos of their uh, ancestors from like a hundred years ago, uh, like a potato photo, like a black and white wow. photo. And uh, the first time uh, I got an email like that actually goes back to that thing I said of saying yes to things you have no idea if you can do. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't know I could make up color and detail onto a blurry black and white photo. But thank God I said yes, because after turning green, becoming afraid and all that, particularly because of the price point uh, I asked for it. Mm -hmm. And also, if I, I didn't know if I could even do it. Mm -hmm. I've come to realize that it's extremely doable. So these scientist paintings, they came from black and white, often blurry reference, particularly the Murray Curry. Um, the Darwin back here. Yeah. Darwin uh, contemplating. Yeah. It's a disaster reference. Um, <laughs> but I've become so comfortable with that over the course of saying yes to things that scare me. You just find out that color i'm lucky with color i think that's my um, artistic stat boost that i got for free mm -hmm. um my drawing skills are a hardship for me but my color i think i, I got it easy genetically speaking somehow okay i don't know it's just kind of clicked i'm not sure mm -hmm. it was just a freebie for me so i would at best, for George Washington Carver, I did a small color study 
uh, to figure out what colors I want things. Um, and then I would do the large one. But for Einstein and Marie Curie, man, I didn't even bother with the color study. <laughs> I just went right in and I, like like a crazy person. And Wonderful. it worked out fine. Uh, I don't regret it. Nothing Wonderful. bad happened. But with this bar painting, um, I, I wanted to be a bit of a good boy. So what I did was I uh, took all the photo reference that I shot at the bar in Osaka on my recent trip. I opened it up. I found all his best poses, all the best background. And I think I spent uh, 10 hours photo bashing um, all the different photos into one image. Mm -hmm. I think I tried out like eight different poses uh, for the guy and like moving the drinks around and stuff like that, trying to get uh, the bottles and things to balance each other on the canvas to make your eye not be too much stuck on one part of the painting, but to encourage it to travel yeah. around. It's got a great flow. So I used, yeah, it's beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I used Photoshop to, uh, to accomplish that part. Mm -hmm. um, then I wanted to be a good boy and I did a nine by 12 inch uh, color study, which, uh, oh, it's right there. Hopefully good. And if you're just listening to the audio version of this, folks, just beware that there's a, a video version too. And now we're getting a good look at some of these paintings, which is just awesome. Oh, this um, is the baby one, right? How beautiful so, is that? So nine by 12. It's like, it's a, it's like a mini version of the big one. It's, it's the all there. It's, it's all there, bro. It's every bottle, there. every yeah. bottle cap, every, everything. Beautiful. Uh, but uh, look how tiny it is compared to the real. Uh, Wonderful though. But so you, you're, you're uh, no pun intended, but you're a full bottle, so to speak. As soon as you go to the big version, you've been there, you've done it. You know, the road ahead. But I don't, I regret it, uh, Andrew. Wow. Um, because this, this study, it was supposed to take me like five hours. You know, that's how people say they do studies uh, five mm -hmm. hours one day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That took 34 hours. Oh, wow. Um, and there's a couple of decisions that I got to play with when doing the small version mm -hmm. that I took into the big version. But ultimately, honestly, I think I could have just jumped into the big one. I would have figured it out just fine. Right, right. Okay. Uh, for me, at least, I'm not, I'm not propagandizing uh, not doing studies. Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. It's just whenever i've i don't know i just i try them once in a while mm -hmm. it just doesn't do anything for me i honestly don't know i will keep trying i think it makes a lot of sense mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh yeah. but in this case that's how that went uh but i just kind of felt like i had to paint the same thing twice um but but it's but it's okay i helped me figure some things out i suppose mm -hmm. so to answer your question I have different ways of approaching each painting. I'm not stuck on uh, a certain methodology. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll jump in with a drawing first. Mm -hmm. Other times I will just start painting with no drawing underneath. Sometimes I'll do the drawing in charcoal. Sometimes I'll do the line work in paint. Sometimes there will be no line work and I'll just go straight into shapes. 
Uh, so my brain I've found over time is that it's better suited towards um, shape-based drawing. Like I can find the drawing in large masses and large shapes. Whereas even at Watts Atelier, we were kind of taught to do a, a really detailed, really awesome line work lay-in. And I tried and tried and tried, and I just underperformed and kept underperforming. Um, and I've kind of learned to not fight it so much and try to go to where my brain has a proficiency. And for me, it's when I start putting the, the big shapes down, like the hair shape, the eye socket shapes, and I start to be able to see the proportionality that is required. But other times I want to challenge myself and I'm like, you know, you're going to do this laying as a line work. Mm -hmm. So next week I'm going to post a geisha painting. So behind me also. Beautiful. Yeah. I'll bring it over. This one, I started, um, you'll see in the, in the reel that I post next week, yeah. I started it uh, with painting the line work mm -hmm. because I felt uh, courageous. I'm like, you know what, you can do it, whatever, try it. Mm -hmm. I did it, I messed it up. The, the head was uh, too much to the right. So once again, I couldn't find the shapes correctly with, um, with the line work. Mm -hmm. But then when I started painting, everything moved into place. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not like that for everybody. Some people thrive with line work. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my best friends, he uh, is awesome with uh, line work. It's how he starts. And uh, yeah, it works great for him. Mm. So maybe you ought to kind of see how is it that your brain works best, but it's also interesting to do it the way your brain doesn't work just because it's it's fun to uh, to push it, you know? Yeah, stretch, stretch mentally, and and then there's more capacity there potentially. Yeah, yeah. Even like if your brain is not well suited towards something, that's not a firm limitation. It just mm -hmm. I'm saying it's a bad starting point. Yeah, yeah. If I sat down and I said every artwork has to be uh, line artwork from here on out, mm -hmm. I'm sure I'd figure it out in a couple of years. Yeah, um, you can always make that choice. One thing I'm really appreciating about your paintings, and I, I, I noticed this about so many paintings, is one thing that I actually struggle with a little bit is edges, the way one mass meets another, one shape meets another. Your edges are beautiful. And what I'm picking up, I'm just looking at this painting of Buzz Aldrin here. I'm going to assume that's Buzz Aldrin. We can't see that it's Buzz, but I'll take your word for it. It is. It's uh, Buzz Aldrin, <laughs> and in, the, in his casket, it's Armstrong. Oh, cool. Cool. Excellent. I'm being a little bit cheeky there because, you know, we can't see that through that reflection, but what a great painting. I love that blue, reflective blue line that you have. It looks almost like a cerulean cobalt, a little bit of magenta in there, maybe this, this brilliant violet edge that you have on the where, horizon line, right? where, where, where the white meets the black or where that sun is really zinging off the, oh. the, the helmet. Oh, the yeah, backpack. yeah, 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 yeah. It's beautiful. I'm just looking at it in real life, yeah. It's so painterly oh. too. So are you painting in one layer or are you taking multiple layers to this, building up the body of the paint surface? Once again, my answer will have a similar format as that. Mm. It really depends. 
most of the artworks are likely to be painted in one um, layer. Wow. However, there's certain things that improve from multiple layers, particularly if I want to build up a bit of texture so I can glaze it down and get yeah. the paint to go into the recesses. I find some areas call for that. Mm -hmm. How do I determine if they call for that? I don't know. I just feel like it. I, I don't know. For so sure. uh, in the case of Buzz Aldrin, this was a one layer situation from how I remember it, 99% of the painting is a one layer a la prima type of approach. And now for that blue edge, mm -hmm. it's just a little thing I do is I kind of realize that um, when there's an edge between two different things, it may not be particularly enough to simply consider how soft or hard the edge work should be. But maybe it'd be interesting to also observe how does the color change as part of that edge mm -hmm. and to try and push the transitionary tile into a different color family. I find that's always fun. And I particularly use it when light is hitting somebody, even on this bar painting on the big one and the small one mm -hmm. where his shoulder is uh, catching a lot of light. Mm -hmm. the lamps uh, at the bar are very warm so i put a uh, an orangish transitionary tile as an edge work to that shoulder to kind of make it feel like the light is like vibrating off of the shoulder beautiful yeah i'm always looking for an opportunity to do that i find it adds a lot of extra interest mm -hmm. to put a little extra color tile in there i like how you say that a color tile because, you know, sometimes when I'm painting and even when I'm teaching, I refer to it as like tiles of paint one thing at a time. But I, I, I love that for one thing to move into another. Man, I'm learning something today. One thing to move into another, just add something else in that transition to consider that a bit more. That's that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, man. Look, um, I'm, I'm again, I'm looking through your, your website here and I've come across your landscape um, section. So what do you I mean? You're, you're a guy that does it all. You do the landscapes exceptionally well, the portraits amazingly well. What do you, um, what do you prefer? Would you say that portraits is your jam? Oh, absolutely, Andrew. I, I, I don't think I do the landscapes. I think I try landscapes is the more accurate thing. <laughs> uh, I've discovered that uh, just because you uh, can make your way around a portrait doesn't make it uh, quite so easy to make your way around a landscape. So my friend uh, here, Alex uh, Castellan in Montreal, we started uh, trying to tackle our plein airs uh, a couple years ago. And it's awesome. It's so much fun. It's great to feel confused again, to uh, <laughs> feel like you don't know what's going on. Your painting sucks. It's scary. Yeah. It's really enjoyable to uh, feel that way, to push mm -hmm. yourself. I think there is a great area of improvement and discovery mm -hmm. that I have left in landscapes. And it's important to me, Richard Schmidt comes to mind when I think about artists that are really, really impressive, is those artists that they're just a full-on artist. 
Mm. They'll do uh, still lives. They'll do landscapes. They'll do portraits. Mm -hmm. Whatever you want, they'll do it because they're an artist. Like Alfonso Mucha, he built furniture and jewelry. That is so impressive to me. I really like people that have multiple interests, even outside of art. I really enjoy that when somebody's really into sports or baking stocks or something. I really respect that. So uh, mine and my friends' attempts at landscape are another way to live the artistic life that I wish to live and to uh, try to become the type of person that I respect. Uh, and it also will help. Like right now, I'm going to tilt the camera down a bit. Mm -hmm. There's a start of my next 40 by 30 inch Ethiopia painting there. Beautiful. It just started this yeah. week. Uh, we just have the underpainting. There's, there's nothing going on yet. But you'll see it's 90% landscape and 10% figure. That's right. Yeah. So I had a I had a really good one of a lady building a fence, but uh, it's actually um, going to be in a show in a few weeks. So I've sent it off to um, the framer. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, I can't show it, but it's very landscape heavy. Mm -hmm. So these planner uh, experiences they start to come into play when you want to combine the figure and the landscape. Mm -hmm. And I think the most interesting way to present a person, you can do it like this head, you know, where it's just a floating head and that's fine. But if you want to tell a more deep story, like let's say this bar or somebody for this gentleman in Ethiopia, I feel that the environment that he's in is actually a really big part of his life. Mm -hmm. um, you can't see it now. I didn't paint it yet, but there's going to be a herd of cows going through cattle. Mm -hmm. And that's how Ethiopian uh, tribes people measure their wealth. And that's what their life depends on. They're going to be in that painting. Uh, there's birds flying in the back. Um, mm -hmm. Carnivorous birds. That is important to the environment. It's part, it's part of their life. Uh, I don't interact with my environment that much. I can't say that my environment of Montreal, Canada reflects my life very much, but I feel like the, uh, the tribes that I met in Ethiopia, they feel that it's, it's a massive part. So to show them in the most interesting and honest way, wouldn't you have to show them in their environment? Yeah. And, uh, to do that, you're going to have to figure out how to landscape paint, which is why I was looking at your landscape paintings. I was just getting blown away. I got to get myself somewhere even halfway close to that level in landscapes. And it's going to help so much. <laughs> Come in, to New uh, Zealand. Figure paintings too. <laughs> Come to New yeah, Zealand. New we'll, Zealand do some, is, we'll do some sounds, plein air. Oh man, it sounds like such a beautiful place. Uh, the it's nature stunning. is insane in New Zealand. Yeah, um, it's stunning. So yeah, I'm going to keep uh, hitting the landscapes. I'm going to keep improving. It's really important to me. So I'm going to make it happen. Well, what, one thing I appreciate about your work and, you know, again, as I was scrolling through and having a look, it's just the links that you go to to get to know your subject. So this trip from uh, Ethiopia, that the post that I really loved, there was one where you were talking about the, the, the almost props, the bits and pieces that you were collecting from your trip. Tell me about this recent trip that you had. It just looks extraordinary. By the way, I got all the all the props here. If you want, I'll, is, uh, is that one hanging here. on the on the easel there? Yeah, you got. It. I mean, I don't. 
always have it hanging i just put it here to look cute for the podcast it, it, it is it is man it's working it's cute, definitely eh? working <laughs> <laughs> but this is i'm very happy i got this this is uh what's called a calabash mm -hmm. and uh this is a container uh that people carry milk once again cattle plays a major role mm -hmm. in people's lives um this is made of a gourd skin a dried gourd skin and this uncured skin that still has fur on it and probably all sorts of bacteria, uh, this is made of goat uh, skin. Mm -hmm. And if you open it, imagine you're smelling, oh my God. It's, oh, oh <laughs> it God. smells ripe, huh? <laughs> when I, when I uh, bought this from the lady, there was still milk in it, warm milk. It was very hot outside. So oh, wow. <laughs> imagine there's been a lot of milk in here and it also, for some reason, smells really smoked, mm -hmm. super smoked, mm -hmm. like um, they're smoking salmon or something in it. Mm -hmm. It's very cool. Um, so I got I got this guy right here. I got a first wife uh, necklace. Oh, wow. That thing looks tight. So, yeah so this is important to the hammer tribe because in, mm -hmm. in the omo valley of ethiopia there's many different tribes i visited six mm -hmm. and that's not all of them there's a couple more in that i still have to visit mm -hmm. but the hammer tribe the first wife wears a necklace like this and uh, she wears it uh, around her neck like this lady right here yeah so for those that are listening, I'm just bringing over um, one of my paintings. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's a lady that she's drinking coffee from uh, a gourd. And around her neck, she has this uh, very thick necklace made of leather, mud, and metal pieces around her neck. Mm -hmm. It's quite tight. And then there's uh, metal uh, necklaces right under. Mm -hmm. So this necklace signifies that she is her husband's first wife. So only the first wife has the distinction of wearing uh, such a necklace. And why is that important? It's because the first wife carries uh, a very special position in the family. She's uh, the leader of the household and the leader of all the other wives. And, uh, it's an interesting position to be in. Some women want to be a first wife. Other women would actually prefer to be uh, one of the other, the, the future wives. Mm -hmm. Because with this position comes uh, leadership, management of the household. Uh, but she is the decision maker as a mm -hmm. first wife. Mm -hmm. But a first wife is not chosen by uh, love or something like that. Uh, it's actually an arrangement with uh, made between your parents and her parents. Um, your your family actually made this arrangement for you, and they paid for the first wife in the form of cattle, or maybe grain with cattle, whatever deal they made. Um, so the first wife is is one that was purchased. And it wasn't your choice. It wasn't her choice. Uh, she can say no. 
uh, that's that is her choice. She she can decline. Uh, but the subsequent uh, wives, it's up to uh, the man to approach uh, the family and approach that woman and ask to see if he can uh, trade cattle for her. So th that situation can be more out of love, for example, mm -hmm. uh, rather than as much of a practical situation as the first wife tends to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. It's a it's a very different very different world. But how extraordinary to how how long were you there in in Ethiopia for? You know, uh, only a month, but I got to see wow. so much. And yeah. uh, I want to go back uh, early next year. Mm -hmm. I think I got to do it again. It's it's calling me. Um, there's just so much to see. There's so many different uh, ceremonies and traditions that I got to see. For example, these uh, lip rings, yeah, these are worn uh, inside the lip wow. by uh, two of the tribes, not all of them, mm -hmm. by the Suri tribe and the Mercy tribe. The women wear these uh, for special occasions. There's four of them, like uh, a donga stick fight, which is a form of sport fighting, um, a funeral serving food getting water are some of the examples and when a a woman wants to be elegant she will uh, wear a lip ring and the bigger it is and the more she stretches out her lip the more elegant she is and the more she shows her dedication to her family and to her tribe so for example this lady here mm. wow. i think her name is Gorgonia. Let me let me get her name. Oh no, that's uh Gologne. Nagnaba Gologne. That this is the lady's name. Wow. This is an older lady, and her lip ring is like out to uh, to here. It's actually a lip triangle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh which was a unique shape. I've only seen uh this lady have. And I started this from life. Amazing. Um so you get to see all this cool stuff. You get to see ritualistic scarification. Uh, you get to see these uh, awesome uh, dancing rituals. We, we saw a rain dance. And I was just going through my little journal I wrote. And I made a really funny connection this morning when I was going through it. There was a day where we went to go see um, the rain dance where people were doing this crazy dance, jumping up and down. It was beautiful. It was so hot, I almost passed out. And then, funny enough, I didn't make the connection before, but that night when we were sleeping in the tents, a crazy thunderstorm came and it blew my tent right off the, the floor. <laughs> it completely flooded, like the supports collapsed oh, <laughs> and all my stuff was uh, got drenched and flew away. Like imagine, it wasn't just raining. It was literally a wall of water. And I was just standing there in this wall of water. The tent is just gone. It's just completely filled. It's all scattered. It's all full of water. So hilariously enough, that rain dance must have worked. <laughs> I just made that connection this morning. Extraordinary. Oh, it's a beautiful painting too. I, I I love that you started that from life and then you went back and finished it in the studio. Will that end up becoming a, one of the bigger paintings or is that is that finished now, that idea? You're going to move on to something else? 
um Gologne? Uh yeah. no no she's 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 finished uh, like this. Uh there's another gentleman. Uh, I'm just leaning over to see Merhel. He was our tribal guard with the Dasnich tribe and th this is a painting that was from life. Uh and this guy, he's extremely photogenic. So I have some materials to make uh, large paintings of him too. So I hope to put out uh, some more complex paintings with this gentleman. Um, but with uh, the Lady Gologne, uh, I think that th that's it for her. Hmm. Um, this is this is stunning. So this one of uh, Merho, the the Dasanich tribe, stunning painting, beautiful. Thank you so much. He posed really well. The lady Nagnaba Gologne was my most stressful um, portrait session of my entire life. Oh. Uh, yeah, I didn't go well at all. Um, so what I didn't realize is that it is uncomfortable and it hurts to have your lip ring in mm -hmm. and you can only have it in for like 15 minutes. Oh my word. So I was she sits down and um she's moving the whole time uh i i don't know if um the guides translated well enough what kind of situation she's got herself into uh but she's moving she's talking uh and then her her lip triangle is becoming very uncomfortable for her so she removes it and her whole structure of the face before the skin was pulled forward uh, with a great pressure and it pulls all the muscles forwards and really changes the the shape of your face. Oh yeah. She pulls it out, it droops down and it's completely different. So I had to paint her like that mostly. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh it was not ideal. Uh but I got through it somehow mm -hmm. and I fixed it at home in the studio. Mm -hmm. Uh but Murho, the the tribal guard, uh he sat uh, like a statue. He was fantastic, and it was uh, a very, very good time to work with him. Stunning. Work. So I, yeah. I did one of a boy with our Bori tribe. He, I never posted it. It just didn't work. He was uh, really tired of me after about 20 minutes. Uh, he wasn't even in his chair. So it was a painting from the imagination, really. And uh, it's hard to uh, get it to a really tight, um, kind of realistic standard uh, from my head. So I snapped some photos and, uh, you know, so it didn't all go great. You know, there, there were difficult uh, portraits that didn't pan out. Yeah. Uh, what we all have those, don't we? It's, I, it, but they still form really um, valuable learning experiences, I find. The, the, the things, you know, back to what we were saying at the beginning of the conversation, some of those things that don't go quite so well, it forms an interesting chapter or an interesting uh, entry to that, that creative journey. Yeah, it's fun. Like, can you do a portrait of a person that left their chair and is not there anymore? <laughs> well, then you're going to find out. And you probably can't, but it's so, it was pretty funny to try, to be honest. That's awesome. So, uh, you know, you're, are you taking photographic reference while you're there or are you just strictly going, no, I'm going to capture this from life in oil painting? Does photographic reference play into this? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not 
of the the no photo propaganda area of artistic life i i think that what's really fun is if a situation allows for it to start a painting from life or to do like some paintings from life to do some plein airs from life and then uh you're gonna have the real colors the real edges and the real values of how your eyeball sees it then you go uh take some really nice photos maybe perfect the composition and photoshop and then you look at your study and you inject the correct uh, edge work and the colors uh, into your photo painting. I think that makes uh, for the best result. However, uh, let's not kid ourselves, certain situations are very fleeting. So my goal when I travel is to show you all these interesting scenes and situations that traditional cultures uh, do. For example, Let's say in Ethiopia, I got to witness people fishing. So they were catching these catfish with these hooks through muddy water and they're going around and they're just swinging their arms through the muddy water. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's 40 degrees Celsius. They're only there for a short time and they're moving, you know, they're really catching these fish. They're taking them out. They're they're killing the fish right on the shore. It's very sad for me. I hate to see animals get hurt. I had to see a lot of that in my trip. Mm-hmm. Um, and these situations, I don't care much for some artistic pure, puritanism of some sort that says you can't paint from photos. Mm-hmm. What I'm more interested in is I'd like to tell the story of catching catfish and uh the way you're gonna do it is with the photo because mm-hmm. these guys they they walk right through the water they're in action they're in and out and uh, it's a lively situation you know mm-hmm. um so my approach to this when i travel is to do a life painting when possible and when appropriate this would be plein air is where that plays a big part try to set up some life portrait painting sessions um but if you got a complicated situation, what I care about is making the painting happen and tell you that story. Like we went to a Donga stick fight. There is uh, like 200 people fighting with sticks. There were AK-47s going off. A guy pointed an AK-47 at me actually. It was quite funny. And there's all this crazy action. It's so hot. People are fighting. There's blood everywhere. There's guns. It's intense. And I'm not going to not tell you the Donga stick fighting story because my job is to show you how the traditional cultures are and to tell you their their life. And I'm not going to get to do that uh, if I limit myself to life painting only. So for that, I snapped a million trillion Donga stick fighting photos and then I got home, opened them up in Photoshop, and I just started photo bashing a composition of all the best poses, getting rid of um, things that shouldn't be there, and trying to set up a composition that, while that exact composition wasn't uh, there, mm. I feel that that image will tell you 
what a donga stick fight means and kind of what it's like to be there um yeah yeah so the that's my approach uh if you can get a person to sit that's fantastic but it's so rare like let's say in morocco i saw a merchant in, in the city of fez uh his name is rashid it was one of my first travel paintings possibly my first mm-hmm. my first big one he's in the stories of the world section of my website and uh he was uh the first kind of traditional looking person i saw in morocco um and he agreed to do a photo shoot with me and it was so cool but he's got a, a real store to run he's a real person you know it's not like a friend i dressed up in in a costume um so he's kind enough um uh, to do a photo shoot then i bought uh, a lot of the stuff uh, i bought the necklace that he's wearing in the painting there's this a uh, nice big berber necklace and later on i used the shape of that necklace to put it into the custom frame that he's in um so yeah beautiful the necklace is stunning in this painting <clears throat> absolutely amazing wow and there's a there's a YouTube video on this. I, I'm going to have to link to your YouTube channel and some of these uh, videos where we can see uh, hopefully a bit of the process, because as I'm looking at this again, just the the way you put them together is extraordinary. The brushwork is amazing. So painterly, yet it's just all there. You're sitting with a real person that has such a presence and life to it. Extraordinary work, man. Oh, thank you, Andrew. Um, yeah. yeah, I used to do uh, YouTube videos where I narrated them, but as you're more than well aware, it's it's a tremendous amount of work. It's it's a serious oh, yeah. commitment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but I used to put is. in that effort, so those are there. Uh, do you think you'll get back to YouTube? You know, Andrew, uh, I tried it. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad I have those videos. Mm-hmm. But similar with that art podcast I have, I think you got to look at yourself and ask yourself, what are your, where's your leg up? Mm-hmm. You know, where do you create the most value? I gave the podcast my best try. We made one good episode where we flew to Miami with Cesar Santos, cost us a lot, but it came out awesome. But when I consider somebody like you, Jeff Hine, you guys got it covered. It's it's a, a real f- form of art to engage somebody in an interesting conversation and mm. to uh, find a way to allow that person to be interesting with you in a conversation. It helps talking to it helps talking to interesting people, bro. It, it helps talking to people like yourself with a story to tell. I mean, my job's done. No, but it, you know, to be completely honest with you, man, like I, I have no idea what I'm doing, <laughs> none at all, and I just try to focus on things personally that I enjoy, and it, I've, I've been, uh, you know, and to be completely honest with you and everybody listening, initially I was in two minds about the podcast: do I do it? Do I not do it? Because, you know, there, there was never a, a, an immediate payoff. I mean, it's, it's not sponsored right now. Um, maybe that will change, but 
it's the it's those intangible benefits that I get. Like I get so much personally. I, I learn more than anybody, I think, because I, I get to be here engaging with you, having this conversation. And I just love it. And I come off these calls, like when I walk downstairs after having a podcast, you know, Rachel, my wife will be like, hey, what's gotten into you? I just, I just talked to this amazing artist. I just learned all this cool stuff. You know, I'm inspired. I've got some things that I know I want to try now as a result. And I just gravitate towards the things that I love doing. And then it's just a, a case of figure it out, figure it out, you know, and, and eventually some things pan out, some things don't. But, um, you know, kind of like what we we're talking about before, there's, there's going to be a lot of stuff that, that doesn't quite work out, but good. That's a good thing. You know, you, you kind of, Oh yeah. As an artist, um, uh, I've always felt like, I don't know, maybe I'm no good at things, but 98% of things that I do, do not create, um, a financial result hmm. of any kind. But 2% do, and then I make a really good living off that 2%. So it's not about whether everything is going to logically work or not. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's for the fun of trying. And like you said, what's really exciting is getting to meet all these interesting uh, people and have a chat with them and um, create all these friendships around the world. Like uh, if I come to New Zealand, I'll say hello to you. Oh if no! You're, you're gonna Everest. you're gonna come you're gonna come stay. No, don't just stay. Hello, be my guest, man. Come on, it'd be an absolute <laughs> awesome. I'd, I'd actually I'd love to. You guys have the best nature in the world after Switzerland. Uh, <laughs> then if you are weird enough to come to Montreal for whatever strange reason somebody would want to do that, then you're gonna be here. So that's awesome. I completely understand that, and that's actually why I started the podcast back in the day. Yeah, but I just found um, we weren't so hot at figuring out how to be engaging i think that's a skill mm -hmm. um and i think my strengths were better used uh elsewhere mm -hmm. um so with the youtube uh, i i really wanted to try to make some educational helpful videos and people left really 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 nice comments but i was just seeing um your video uh proko stan prokopenko yeah, and amazing. i was like well yeah. Do they really need my little videos? I think the world will survive without it. You know, yeah. <laughs> so I think uh, I think we'll be okay without me somehow. You know, I don't know, man. I, I I'm I'm looking forward to doing a deep dive into what is on your channel and and learning myself. I, I I don't know. I'm of the opinion that if you've got that little that that feeling within yourself, that desire to do that, just go. No, I really want to do this. For me, that's enough. But I mean, well, you're you, also an I, epic I hear... time manager. You know that, Andrew. You're a superhuman at using your time. You have 48 hours in a day. I have like 10. <laughs> I do not, dude. I do not. And and I appreciate you saying that, but that is not true. I'm going to pull you up on that. That is not. So so for instance, right now, my dude, you were going to start working at 5:30 a.m. today. <laughs> <laughs> you create extra time. That's a sleep in for me. I feel terrible about that. I I I was a bit dis a discombobulated after a trip to town. So for us, town is two and a half hour drive one way, and then two and a half hours oh back. And so it's it's a it's a big trip for us. But I was out of it. So yesterday was a write off, and then this morning I'm like, no, I'm I'm listening to my body. I need to have a sleep in. But my my days start around three a.m., and then I can. Get oh. to 
Yeah, dude. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, you. But you, but the thing is, I mean, a lot of people, a, a lot of people uh, react to that. Like we all get twenty four hours. I mean, there's no there's no getting around that. I wish I had forty eight hours. But the thing is, is that when you when you start at that time, you're gonna have a a stop point at the end of the day. I still get plenty of sleep, but it's just I go to bed super early, so I'm in bed around eight. I have to be in bed at eight. Like it was like a you know, it has to be like a solid habit for me to do that. And so I get around, you know, a little under seven hours by the time I'm asleep. But there's a lot of people that are night owls that get less than that. And and no one bats an eye. But I think the question is not so much, it's, it's how you're spending the time, right? And I think the evidence does actually come out in your work. Like for instance, with you, and back to what we're saying about your time at Watts Atelier, when you're dialed in, when you're passionate about something, when you're really interested in something, when something's a must for you, you figure it out, you figure out a way. So my TV watching time is not very much at all compared to most. I don't play video games at all. I don't really sit there and scroll on my phone. Like I, I'm, I'm super hyper aware of how those moments get spent. And then when you have people in your life that you really want to and need to spend that time with, now suddenly I'm becoming more aggressive and vigilant about where those hours go. Because I, I think to myself, if I'm scrolling my phone, I'm like, I could be playing with trucks right now with my son. And that's the most valuable place to be putting the time if I'm not working. Do you know what I mean? So I don't know. Yeah. It, we, we all have priorities in a way, but I, I see the evidence of an enormous amount of time just by looking at your work. I'm like, this guy's dialed in. He's He's got it. He's got the discipline, clearly. Oh, Andrew, I used to have, I think, the discipline. But then as everything started working out pretty well, uh, I'm going to be honest. I uh, I don't think I, I go that crazy. I used to be insane. I used to. I was the kind of guy that if I rang somebody's doorbell and they weren't opening it in half a second, I would start doing push-ups because I can do something useful in the next 10 seconds. <laughs> like that was how, uh, how I was when I was starting at Watts. Um, but then unlike Arnold, uh, when things went well, um, I got to say, I, I became uh, weaker as a as, um, competitor. My paintings are, are not weaker, but I am um, not so savage anymore so that's something i really respect about you is that uh you're up uh, late apparently according to you <laughs> but for me that uh starting the podcast at the time that you're starting would be an epic uh, victory um but uh no it's when you're really when i was really uh, hungry that i was uh behaving like a madman you know uh now not so much, you know, I have friends over often, we have dinner parties, we make cocktails, um, go to bed like at 12, kind of late, should be at 11. So uh, I'm quite more permissive uh, lately. And I'm just trying to figure out, is that something, how, how, what is my relationship to that? Hmm. Why not? Why not? You know, I, I don't, I think it's a question of, it, it's not a question of being right or wrong, but it comes down to what is your motivation? What is the thing that you're going for? What is the thing that you want? No one has a right to, to judge that or take that away from anybody. It's just what you want to do. But I, I found that the more things begin to go my way, it's kind of like that analogy of the flywheel. The more I start to go, 
okay, I'm going to apply even more force to this now because I've got more resources to throw at it. And so it gets going faster and faster and faster, more and more and more. But it's not so much to have more. It's so, for me, it's about maximizing what I've been given. And, and I come at it from the point of view of if I, if I have this, then I have a responsibility to maximize this. And it's just a little bit of a, a twist on that. But there are some days where, you know, I will burn out and then I just need to take a stop and pause. And in those moments, it's like, actually, I earned this little bit of relaxation right now, you know. And so, I don't know, it's, it's different for everybody. But I find that just this year, you know, it's been... And funnily enough, it all, it all seemed to happen. Maybe there's something to this. Maybe I'm Samson in reverse, but it all seemed to happen when I shaved my head. <laughs> everything, everything got real, bro. It's like, okay, the gloves are off and the hair. <laughs> oh, man, I'm going to shave my head too. I actually did. Don't, uh, you've got amazing that. hair. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> oh, I shaved it because I thought it would be uh, funny. Uh, I just felt like it. that would be the, the comical thing to do. Yeah, I've done it a couple of times. I went bald for no reason. Uh, yeah. Tried to make my hair look as bad as uh, possible. <laughs> I don't know why I just thought it'd be funny. <laughs> but on that conversation, Andrew, you know, there's, um, as I got older, when I was starting out at Watts, right, I was uh, doing the self-development books, uh, Atomic Habits, everything. I've, I've read Brilliant books. all of them yeah. multiple times. Yeah. They're amazing. And they put me in the mindset that I think I needed mm -hmm. to get my career um, functional and working and working uh pretty fast in a way that there haven't been too many moments where i was uh sitting there uh like not knowing how i'm gonna pay the rent i it got close like early on there was maybe two or three months is not too bad there was one time when i was living in a basement apartment and um the ceiling was leaking this bathtub water from the neighbors onto my couch. Oh, I put a bucket there and I was looking at it. And I really hate basement apartments. And I was just like, dude, what the hell happened? This is not your life. It's not supposed to be like, this is not acceptable. And I got hungry and I was like, I'm going to fix it. And I made a financial goal for the next year, uh, an absurd one. And then I went crazy. I started a podcast. I did an art show in Montreal, which was a disaster. I did this. I started messaging every rapper on Instagram for some reason. I tried 20,000 billion things, all of which were stupid, uh, most of which did not work. But the point is, I didn't even care if it's going to work. What I care about is, I have a thought. Let's test it. And I went nuts. I did all the things. Mm. And uh, I reached uh, that goal just the next year, but you reached as I got older. Yeah, yeah, I did. Well done, did. fantastic. Um, but as I got older, I kind of found Andrew that there is this concept of of power versus force that is something to consider and think about. Where before, as a younger guy, I was always yelling, you got to work harder more than everybody. You got to work a thousand hours and, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, uh, like a hustle bro, but like an art hustle bro. That was me. And I mean, I guess that's why it all worked out. So I'm not going to say that that was a mistake. But as I grew older, 
I find that I, I'm more power and less force, mm. which is perhaps a euphemism for I got fat and lazy. But <laughs> in my head, I'd like to think I'm more into my power, uh, which is to say that you could hit your head against the wall and do something. Let's say me and my podcast, I could just go, oh, I'm going to put out five episodes a week and only my mom listens to them and I don't care. And I have this monotone voice and I nobody wants to listen to it, but I don't care. I'm going to force everybody. You could do it and you'll get some results. Mm -hmm. But what if you looked at where your area of power is? And what if you put a little bit of power in there, a little bit of force in there? And I found that you can get more results with less if you do the things that are the highest leverage things. It's like in, in financial systems, um, like who said it? Uh, Aristotle, was it? He said, give me a lever large enough and I can move the whole world. Uh, I'm not, yeah, I know, I know the quote. I'm not sure if it's Aristotle. We'll was it? Put it? We'll put it on the screen. Artemis, who was it? I, I, I feel like it could have been... I want to say Archimedes, but I, I don't. Archimedes. I think it's Archimedes. Okay. Yeah. yeah so, but I, I know the quote. I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. The best way to explain leverage I find is through financial systems. So in uh, let's say stocks, there is different ways that you can leverage yourself where you can take a lesser amount of money and make a bet that is greater than the amount of money that you spent on it. One great example of that is to buy options. Options are contracts that allow you uh, to bet on 100 shares of a stock, but you're only paying for the right that the contract represents, but you're gonna enjoy or cry over the movement of 100 shares while using significantly less money so that is, for example, a way to leverage yourself, or you can buy things on margin, which is when in a margin account, you deplete your cash and you keep purchasing and go into a negative cash balance. So then your returns or your losses are exceeded. Now, I'm not saying to do that in your uh, stocks, but I am saying to do that in your artistic decision-making. Mm -hmm whatever that metaphor kind of represents uh, for you. So like for me, I looked at my life and I said, where, where am I possibly bringing kind of the unique value? Like what am I decent at? Hmm. Um, I try things. I, I hit my head against the wall for a little bit. And then I try to get a feel for, is this like an area of, of, of power where am I best? Where should I exist best to serve the, the best, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I found that a combination of something that you're really excited about. And uh, for me, that is traditional cultures. Um, my desirability and excitement to get on a plane, to fly somewhere to have diarrhea for 30 days in a row and a lung infection, all for the chance to paint people that I find to be really, really interesting. 
and to get their stories. Hmm. Well, apparently other artists are not always uh, willing to do that. Or for example, in my portrait commissions, I'm big on painting the Arabic uh, royals where people don't tend to do that. But I work um, with these families and I'm very interested in uh, history and things like that. And I get sent these old historical uh, images and I get to recreate this history in full detail and full color. That's really exciting for me. Nobody else is doing it. And I'm gonna be asking for and getting a lot of money. So that's an area of power. Whereas there's certain other things, if you're doing the wrong thing, doing more of the wrong thing is not the solution to the problem. Hmm. Doing more of the right thing, that could be great. Mm -hmm. But you gotta, because there's certain things where, let's say somebody starts a new art collection where they're going in some direction, like, for example, me with plan errors, right? I started doing plan errors. I was really excited about it. I would post them and it gets like no engagement because I'm new to plan errors and I don't deserve engagement on my plan errors. Um, and that's that's fine. But this I didn't turn into an all landscape painter and hit my head against the wall and say, oh, the world, I hate you. I'm going to make you like my plan errors. I know. I, I do my plan errors. I post them from time to time. Uh, people don't like them. That's fine. Um, I don't do, I, I still stay in my area of uh, strength, but on the background, I develop my landscapes in a way that will benefit my area of strength. Uh, so I think there's certain things that some artists, uh, they might start doing a collection of things that just don't work. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of, they're like, oh man, this, this project is just like not working. So I'm just going to do more of it. And the, the solution is more of it and more of it. And again, and again, and sometimes that's just not going to work. And you have to have the wisdom to figure out because you're going to be bad at every new thing that you start, of course. But some ideas are bad ideas. Um, like there's an idea like never give up you know that's a nuanced idea it's a very nuanced thought and it should be broken down more carefully never give up on your overall goal of success as an artist never give that up however sometimes you're going in the wrong direction sometimes please give up on that there's a little bit of a better direction there for you. Sometimes the world tells you where they want you. Uh, like go, go where the world treats you best, you know? Uh, go where your excitement in a Venn diagram overlaps with what the world likes you for. Um, so for example, I'm not gonna go and uh, start a plein air uh, show, you know, I'm not gonna, uh, do a plein air painting course right now, you know? Mm. Um, but at a certain point, if that becomes the area of power, then do it. Do you know what I mean? There is a nuance to it. Absolutely, I do. Yeah. And for me, um, just reflecting on what you've said, um, 
for me, I've had this word, it's kind of like my, my favorite word, but incorporating also what you've, what you're saying about, um, you know, changing direction, not being afraid to change direction. The overall goal for me is to, is to have a career that serves people and is also enjoyable where I feel like I am in my sphere of power. And that is the overall goal. And I'm shooting at that point in the horizon, but it's, it's those immediate steps are not always clear. The, the distant vision is, but how I'm going to get there is not necessarily that crystal clear vision. And so my favorite word is, is until. I'm going to keep going until I find a way that will get me towards that goal. And so I'm just finding a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't work. I'm getting better at it now, fortunately, you know, be, be doing this 20 years. But and and I'm also quite amazed at the the avenues that technology has opened up, because when I started out, you know, the Internet was a particular way. We didn't even have Facebook, you know, in the beginning. And then social media comes on. And now you have just in the last 10 years, even just one paradigm shift after another. And so I'll try this. I'll try that. That doesn't work. This doesn't work. Algorithm changes. OK, we'll keep going until Try something else. Throw something else at it. But I, I, the the one thing I, I can't give up on, I won't give up on, is that that end point on the horizon. That thing. It's like I I want to because I just gotta. And I had this saying. I even put it on a T-shirt back in the day. I had this. Uh, I was thinking about bringing out a, a merch line that was called Art or Death. And I had this uh, this saying to myself that it's like I'm gonna make this work or I'm gonna die. I'm going to die trying either way. Like there is no other option for me. You know, the, the old, uh, you know, saying of burn the boats, so to speak. You know what I mean? Uh, you're all in. So keep going until I work it out. Oh, absolutely. I think burning the boats is a massive fuel for the fire that uh, I think it really helps. That's why quitting the job and all this stuff, that's powerful. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I think as I'm getting older, right, I'm starting to think I'm a little calming down on the do art every second and uh, don't do anything else thing. Mm. And I'm starting to see value and I'm starting to see some power in um, learning other things, uh, exploring other ideas going traveling a lot, uh, seeing uh, Japan, Korea, making paintings of them, eating uh, nice food, uh, doing this and that. It's to, I'm starting to feel that how you paint something is very important to other artists and to yourself. Uh, collectors and the world um, at large cannot tell the difference between you and a beginner, unfortunately. No, I uh, think so. Okay, interesting. Very few people. Of course, I know people that they just have such, I guess, a high IQ that despite them not having anything to do with the art field, they really can't see the edge work and things like that. But I've noticed in my life that most people do not perceive quality past a certain level in um, realism painting. Like there's a certain minimal level that when yeah. the painting hits it, yeah. I feel like most people no longer receive additional um, you're, you're right. enjoyment. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and I think being an interesting person that 
uh, knows a bit of the world, sees a lot of different situations, at a certain point in your journey, which is not at the start when you're a student, maybe uh, after your first 10 years like me, it could be interesting to uh, maybe not worry so much about painting every second, but worry about being a more interesting person maybe. Mm. And maybe if I'm a more interesting person, then I'll make a more interesting painting for you. And maybe I'll drink a bunch of cocktails before I do it. And maybe I'll sleep more than I should. Maybe I might even turn on a video game, although that's rare. I wish. <laughs> uh, but if I have a variety of experiences, maybe that will cause me to make something more interesting from a narrative perspective. Because I don't think anybody cares anymore um, about the rendering particulars uh, artists uh, will nerd out over it and we get a lot of pleasure from like different edge work and it's it's all very exciting yeah. Yeah. but i think where people derive the most energy from a painting might be from the story that you're telling in it and it could probably be good to have some stories to tell so I think in this chapter of uh, my life, I'm not yelling so much about uh, working 20,000 hours a day, but maybe reading a book that I've always wanted to read or mm. maybe try something or go somewhere. Uh, maybe that could be useful. I don't know. I'm still exploring. It's just a thought I'm sharing with you. I'm not sure yet. Look, man, th this is I, I, I can't believe how fast time is flying talking to you. Um, this is just been an extraordinary conversation. I've gotten so much out of it. You know, I kind of want to go back, though, to the to the way we first connected, um, because this really does speak so much to mindset. And I do want to qualify where I was coming from, because I, I would hate for you or anybody. I think you know where I'm coming from, but anybody else who could have been reading that to misinterpret what I was saying. But back to that, and I'm so glad that we had that interaction because I was putting there, uh, the, putting up this huge painting that I've started, which is a big seascape. And then just going, you know what, I, you know, here's a, here's a picture. This is what I'm working on. And then you entered the comments saying, hey, great, epic stuff. I don't want to misquote you. So you jump in at any time. But you're saying typically a painting like that, you know, anywhere around the 60 to $100,000 mark of what it could end up costing maybe um but these are really difficult to move and and your comment was something to that to that effect where this is this is a risk great to do it awesome to to be working on a painting like that it's good as a passion project kind of thing but to be doing works at this scale a little bit difficult to to move and i was saying to that i was like i i was really coming at it from the point of view of going no not really not at all um but it does it does depend. It's almost a bit of an aggressive mindset. And it does come across, I know, as aggressive with other people. But it's mainly my self-talk that I'm then making public, which is going, if I prime my, my, my focus and my state of mind going, it is difficult to make this happen. It is difficult to do that. Then what I'm willing to do and willing to try is based upon that 
framework that I've already set up almost as a mental structure, a mental strata, because you, you build yourself up or you're working from a foundation of what you can deem to be possible. If you don't deem that to be possible, you won't act. And, and not even a, a hocus pocus about it, but, and so as we were- No, no, it's of, real. It's super real. Well, uh, extremely, yeah. like I, I speak to artists all the time in regards to um, the the prices that some people put on their paintings are it's their business how they want to price them mm. but i'm an advocate for that that's just not going to do it especially when compared to modern art mm -hmm. it for some reason uh, gets my gears grinding when i see an artist with a fantastic large multi-figured genius painting and they're like oh would you like to have this for five thousand dollars yeah. it's yeah i'm not your financial manager but the type of things that we do they're extremely improbable in the world statistically speaking the improbability of somebody choosing to train this strange skill to such an extent that uh, a lot of uh, people these days are fantastic uh, at it is so improbable and you got to remember the wealth out there is extreme people are buying watches that are your entire net worth in one watch amazing they are. yeah there's cars that are worth more than everything we've built in our whole life mm -hmm. there's nfts which is literally nothing that people have bought for the total amount of what we wish to get through a whole lifetime it's mm -hmm. uh you can never forget and when you limit your thinking in that way you're absolutely right i do have a limiting belief because it's tough. Uh, it's easy to sell a portrait commission for 60 to 100 grand. At least in my mind, it's easy. And when you make it easy in your mind, you start to make it happen. Mm -hmm. So it's super powerful that you brought this up with me because there's still a mental block that somebody would want my African painting or my bar painting, you know. Uh, oh, like who's going to spend. 40 grand on it mm. yeah okay dude i i have a friend he bought a watch for 40 grand like a few months ago it's not it's not a big deal people have that but if you block your mind from it the way the way i kind of have i think in regards to my um my personal paintings mm -hmm. then you're not going to communicate with people in the right way and with the right people but when your mind is super clear, like in my world, it completely makes sense that a celebrity crown prince, CEO, like a master of the universe type person, I believe it makes sense for them to trade their money with me for an artwork. I think that's a wise usage of their resources. I think that's good for them. I think it's good for me. And it makes complete sense for everybody. And I think us working together would make the world a better place. So it's completely clicked in my head. I love that. 
Yeah. And I've made it click in my head really, really early on back when it was um, just plain delusion to feel that way. But because I, I had this psychotic, delusional, young person belief, probably like too many motivational videos or something, uh, it allowed me to enter into situations where I just felt at home in those situations. It made sense to me, you know? I wasn't like, oh, I'm in the wrong place or, oh, I don't... I don't deserve this or you know and there's a lot of artists out there that their work is so incredible and they're they're not mentally ready yet to put it at the price that I think that their their skill represents at least to me I value them much higher and when I talk to people about it there seems to be this like scared kind of feeling where they almost um, assume that you have to wait for the world to come grant you this right to sell your artwork as you please like some art angel is going to fly through the window and hit you with the wand and say you sir you're allowed to sell your paintings now for 50 grand or whatever you you want or like you have to wait for your first decade to uh, to go by before you're allowed to sell it for 50 grand. No, I, I'm not. I didn't wait. I'm not waiting. Uh, if I get into, if I feel that it's worth it and there's people that it will make them happy to 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 work with me on that, then you can do it on your first year. Who says no? What's what, what kind of police is going to stop you? Um, so I don't subscribe to that. And I feel that a lot of artists hold themselves back some sort of like martyr type feelings, uh, that, that I'm seeing. And I think, um, us realism painters, uh, yeah, the world is a little bit, uh, not noticing us. That is true, but is it's it? not going to notice us if we don't act mm. like we deserve it i i take your point totally yeah 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 and i'm sorry to jump in there but i i just i still feel like um there's just so much opportunity if you are a realist painter and you do it well you know there is so yeah. much opportunity i i i like the way you're coming at this as well like when you were talking about you know th this makes sense this is good for the this is good for the person it's good for me to trade their money for my artwork i mean dude they were I, gonna buy banana tape to the wall for three times as much as what you're offering yeah come or on they're take, gonna take spend four million dollars on an nft <laughs> you know so you're 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 literally yeah. saving them money yeah. and you're bringing something beautiful into their home don't 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 tell me about the banana tape to the wall i'm still really <laughs> about that one bro it just doesn't yeah, whenever work. i'm scared to price my artwork and i have those like small yeah. shrinking feelings that yeah. come when it's time to type in yeah the price and i'm like oh but i don't have gallery representation or it's i'm it's my first decade oh when i have these feelings 
right before I'm about to type like an absurd price, I just remember that banana and I feel much better. Amazing. Yeah, 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 exactly, man. I mean, and don't forget, you know, somebody won the Turner Prize by turning a light on and off in an empty room. They won the prize. And that, that people Look, are... we got to save these people from their own stupidity. Uh, it is our duty to help them make better artistic financial decisions. Yeah. And I'm here to help wealthy people with that, to right. make uh, their decision making better. But I, I, I think I think there's something to it, dude. I, I, I actually think that there's some aspect of the modern art world, like the, I'm talking about the the hyper modern contemporary scene that is a massive money laundering scheme. I, I, I'm convinced of it. There's something criminal going on, and because it just doesn't make any sense. It's a it's a write off. It's a it's a shifting of finances from one place to another. They're using this as a medium, uh, but it doesn't make any sense. It's like, oh, we need an artwork quick. What you got in your lunchbox? Okay, tape that to the wall. You know, I, I don't know. I, I it just doesn't it doesn't factor in. I'm I'm convinced there's something conspiratorial. Uh, yeah, there's tax implications uh, involved. There's investing implications involved. There's status signaling implications involved. So I remember I had an experience where I kind of learned about how humans approach this, you know, mm. and I was talking to my favorite rapper's uh, wife, uh, not in person over Instagram. Mm -hmm. uh, my favorite rapper is uh, Pusha T. Uh, yeah. Well, there's several, but I, I was talking to her and she was curious about getting their wedding uh, portrait painted mm -hmm. by me. But, you know, I didn't have as many followers that I need. I didn't have my little verify tag that I got a few months ago. So now I'm a real boy. Before the verify tag, I was not a real artist. You know, thank God Mark Zuckerberg uh, told me I'm a real boy. Uh, I, I can't even get my real boy tag. I don't even know what I'm doing. Oh, right. you're not a real boy. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a real sense. boy. No, bro. I'm not a real boy. <laughs> well, well, like when Mark Zuckerberg decides that you're you're worth it, <laughs> I keep trying, man. I, I keep know. going for verification. I've tried it like at least a half. A oh, dozen it's times. random. What happened is I got hacked by these Russian hackers, uh, possibly for my uh, anti-Putin posts, and they started getting into all my accounts and trying to uh, rob me in every way possible. They got onto my Instagram, Facebook, and all that stuff. So there was a disaster there where they were in all my accounts. And I'm just kind of wondering if um, through trying to resolve this impersonation situation, mm. um, if that helped. I mean, I don't recommend you to get hacked by uh, some sort of hacking terrorist. That's not, not a smart way to go about it. But I think that's what helped me. Yeah. But yeah, so I was talking to the rapper's wife, right? Mm -hmm. And she loved the art. The price uh, I, I was offering them, my opinion, was pretty low. It's pretty relaxed price. Mm -hmm. um, really not something that would ruin their month or something like that, I would imagine. Uh, mm -hmm. Or at least the way the rap videos seem to look, it would be all right. Um, but then the conversation went uh, stale and then I saw kind of what they ended up buying was some abstract weird uh, shapes that they got at a gallery in Miami and they stuck to the wall. 
and I and I was kind of thinking about that. Um, I was like, well, how did this, how does this always happen with uh, celebrities? You know, mm. I feel like there's always this moment where they're like, okay, the art is good, but what people may want from the art is to feel special. They ask themselves, will buying this art give me the opportunity to brag uh, about, will it tell me more of who I am? Will I be able to brag about it on the internet later? Mm -hmm. And when you're reaching out to people uh, on through Instagram yourself, and you're going after them, you're showing them your realism picture, you're not giving them that weird human situation that they so need for some strange reason, where they want to walk into a gallery, they want the Rolls Royce to be parked in front of it, uh, like at the galleries in Miami, you want the people in the blazers that don't know anything about art, but they went to art school, so they think they know something about art, and they want to be educated on it once they arrive they want to mm. feel like they're doing something exclusive and they want it more than they want good art mm -hmm. and in the end they don't trust their art opinions so i really respect people that they see an artist and okay that artist uh, isn't at the miami gallery they're not on uh they don't have a million followers on uh, TikTok yet or whatever. That Those like mainstream things that people like. And they say, but you know what? I'm in control of my decision making. I don't need society to approve my artistic uh, purchase. And I'm going to go with, with this artist right here. And for that reason, I so much appreciate everybody that did commissions with me back when I was starting. Hmm. That is very 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 cool of them that they didn't need to see all those little things that make people feel safer and better wow. like for me i buy artwork and i really don't care at all who painted it it could have been a cat for well i mean actually i'd be impressed if it was a cat i think i'd buy that even more <laughs> but uh i don't much care who painted it and if their career is going to go somewhere yeah. is this painting going to be worth something i really don't care i care that i like it so i'm buying it so it's mine now brilliant. that's how i approach it brilliant yeah oh man I, i've gotten so much out of this uh conversation so far i feel like we've got another two or three episodes in us but i i ju just really appreciate your time today i i really um I'm excited about this uh, this next trip uh, coming up to Ethiopia again. It looks like you've uh, you've definitely got some momentum there. And and once again, Pavel, I, I mean, I'm looking at your website, blown away by the quality, and just really excited to now meet you and be following you online and following your work. Um, just thank you so much, man. This has been an awesome conversation. Thank you for being on the Creative Endeavor podcast. Thank you, Andrew. You know, it's, uh, I really was, it's, it's a great honor that you would spend your time with me. I know how precious your time is. I recognize it and I appreciate it so much. I'm so glad I got to meet you and I actually look forward to seeing you in real life one day. We'll That'd make it awesome. happen. Um, we'll make it happen, bro. Yeah. Yeah. If you ever have time to go on a trip somewhere, we can go uh, paint some tribe people. We can, uh, get sick to our stomach, 
<laughs> there's all sorts of fun to be had, you know. Brilliant. <laughs> I can't wait. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Creative Endeavor podcast and a huge thank you to Pavel Sokov for joining me. Right now, you can go and follow Pavel online on Instagram at Pavel Sokov. That's all one word, P-A-V-E-L-S-O-K-O-V and on his website at pavelsokov.com. Make sure you're following his amazing creative journey there. He's creating some incredible work and I cannot wait to see what he comes up with next. Now, once again, if you wanna watch the video version of The Creative Endeavor, you can find that on Tish Academy. That's tish.academy. I'll include a link in the show notes. But if you enjoyed this episode, please do me a huge favor. Please leave me a rating or a review on whatever audio platform you're listening on. It makes a huge difference to the show. I couldn't get this out there and spread the word without you. So thank you for sharing it. And if you're going to share it on Instagram, please do use the hashtag the creative endeavor. And you can even tag me in the post at Andrew underscore Tischler underscore artist. I'm going to get out of here and get back to painting. It's been such a blast hanging out with you here once again. I've really enjoyed your company and I'll see you again very soon in another episode of the creative endeavor. Thank you.